Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bowley. from the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country? and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or... Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of God for the people of God Thanks be to God. Well, folks, a little over 21 years ago in May of 2001, came on my heart to pray intensely for church attendance to double. I even remember that I asked in that prayer for church attendance to double by the end of September. Be careful what you pray for. God may grant that prayer. You know, it's hard to believe, but 21 years ago today, four jet airliners were taken over by terrorists. Is there anyone here who is under 25 years of age? 
Anybody you know under 25 has no memory. Anyone under 21 wasn't even alive at that day. Two planes were flown into the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers in New York, causing fire and damage that eventually destroyed the two main buildings and a couple other buildings, killing thousands of people. A third plane flew into the Pentagon, causing many deaths and severe damage to that building, which had been built during World War II. And a fourth plane was also taken over, but after hearing what happened to the first three planes, a group of passengers fought valiantly and entered the cockpit, causing the plane to crash in an empty field instead of into the Capitol building or the White House in Washington. You may remember that all civilian airplanes were quickly grounded that day and the next few days. At that time, we were living near Loganville, Georgia, and it was under the takeoff pattern for Hartsfield, Hartfield Atlanta Aircraft Airport. You know, on a normal evening, we'd sit on our back porch, and about every 60 seconds, a plane would fly overhead. But that week, there was nothing. Silence. No contrails. No planes. The world came together that week. The day after the attack, Queen Elizabeth of England ordered her guards to play the American National Anthem as they did the changing of the guards. That never happens. Sandra and I were operating a business selling inkjet ink over the internet. Many of our orders came in over the telephone. We didn't sell much ink that week, but because we advertised ourselves as the Christian source for inkjet ink, the phone calls just kept coming. But these phone calls were from people who wanted and who needed to talk about what had happened and what God was up to. Probably three or four people that week, I think, we were able to lead to the Lord. That Sunday, the churches were full around the nation. God had granted the prayer not at all in the way I thought. Meanwhile, around the country, and in particular in New York and Washington, many, many people were searching for lost family members. Planes on their way from New York to Los Angeles had landed in Topeka. Travelers from Atlanta to Chicago were trapped in Nashville. People flying from San Francisco to Atlanta spent days fighting for rental cars in Amarillo, Texas. And throughout Manhattan, people were searching for loved ones who might have been lost in the World Trade Center. No one knew, because you see, the cell towers had been on top of the buildings. Payphones had mostly been removed by that time. The major subway lines in southern Manhattan intersected under the Twin Towers, which meant that commuters from Long Island and New Jersey were stuck on Manhattan Island, trying desperately to figure out a way to get home or at least let their loved ones know they were okay. There were terrible hours as mothers tried to find children and fathers tried to find wives and children who had made it home waited anxiously for parents to come home. You know, the Twin Towers generally had up to 70,000 visitors every day between those who worked there and those who visited as tourists. Each of the 110 stories on each building was an acre in size. It was the size of a football field. The towers were huge and a symbol of American financial power. Thankfully, the tower stood up to the fire for some time and allowed the bulk of the 30,000 people present that day to evacuate. 
just under 3,000 people did die. But many, many people worried for days and hours and weeks about their loved ones. And you know, some are still waiting for confirmation of the death of loved ones, lost friends and relatives. For we all will search and search and search for lost loved ones, even for lost items. Jesus asked a group of people the question, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And that scene of celebration was repeated time and time again that day as thousands of men and women made their way home after the dreadful day in Manhattan. But you know the day Jesus said this originally, he was speaking in response to some rudeness by a group of Pharisees. These people had gathered to hear Jesus speak. Someone in the crowd muttered with disapproval, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And you know we've all encountered people like this man who muttered. He was upset that Jesus wasn't keeping himself holy enough. For it was widely known that Jesus spoke with prostitutes, with tax collectors, even with Roman soldiers. He ate with them. And just like today's gossips in many churches who think that pastors should never enter a restaurant that serves liquor or speak to any woman under 70 years of age, this man in the crowd thought that any teacher of the law should not even speak or eat with anyone who broke the moral and ethical laws given by Moses even to teach people what was right and what was wrong. This man who muttered, he was too good in his own mind to associate with the Son of God or to help those who were not at his high, wonderful level of righteousness. This man was so good that he didn't think anyone should soil their hands helping other people become good. It was almost as if, as bad as the pastor's I've heard about from other people who tell me that they won't marry a couple because they've been living together. I always jumped at the chance when people came to me in that situation. What is wrong when a man and a woman decide to make a lifelong commitment to each other in front of God? God doesn't care about your past, only about the present and the future. I always have seen that Jesus wants us to spend most of our time speaking with people who do not know Jesus rather than people who are safely following Jesus. Well, Jesus had an answer for those guys who muttered about him welcoming sinners and eating with them in a disapproving way. He told them the parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them and then goes looking for it, leaving the other ones in a safe place. When he finds it, he carries it home and he calls his friends, neighbors together and says, Hey, I've, I've found my lost sheep. Be happy with me. Then Jesus said, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Clearly, Jesus saw the flock as being the people who were safely following him. And he saw the lost sheep as the person who had lost their way in the world you know, a shepherd doesn't stop and ask, I wonder, is this lost sheep being disobedient? Should I leave them out to get, let the wolves eat them? 
Or did this sheep decide to be evil and eat tasty grass in another field because of spite to me? No, the shepherd knows. He just knows that the sheep is lost and in great danger because of this. In the same way, Jesus sees people who are not following him as lost and in great danger. You know, just as those sheep don't really understand that there's wolves out there that prowl around looking for stray sheep at night, those who are following Jesus are safe, but those who are lost can fall victim to all sorts of problems that can creep up on us. Addiction and debt, the anger that destroys our happiness and our souls, revenge which feels good but poisons our souls and minds, and hatred that cripples our ability to love. Jesus then used another metaphor. He said, suppose a woman has, seven, has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You ever lost your wallet or your phone? I guess you have, Donna. Yeah. It can make you walk around the house searching and searching and searching like a dog that's lost a bone. And when we lose something, Sandra and I, we've got three places we look at. The, 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 that's where the phone's supposed to be. And then one of us usually says, well, what places isn't it supposed to be? Because if it isn't where it's supposed to be, it needs to be somewhere it isn't supposed to be. And you know, we found that one of the places that phone really likes is under the seat in the car. For some reason, it likes to run down there and hide. And yes, we've been known to look in the refrigerator also. But recently, though, we, we, we got tired, and it was a little embarrassing, you know, to always go and call the, the phone. And Sandra would say to me, can you call my phone? And I'd say, can you call my phone? And so what we found is that on our Fitbit, there's a little button we can push and it'll make the phone beep, and that's a little less embarrassing. But you know, if we mislay something, don't we all search for hours to find it? You know, in Jesus' story, to put it in perspective, those weren't dimes that she lost. Each of those silver coins was worth a day's wages, $100 or more. Wouldn't you search for them? Of course, Jesus is making the point that all people, all people are tremendously valuable to God, regardless of what we think of their moral condition. That's the coins. Regardless of whether they're president or governor or child or mother or father or a man, you know, who, as the old mountain saying goes, isn't worth the powder and lead needed to blow them away. For God made each of us in God's image, and therefore each of us are important and invaluable to God and should be to all of the rest of us. We're to search for people because they are images of God, portraits of God that have become lost over the years. And Jesus is trying to pull that huge collection of those portraits of God back together again and protect them and change the world with them. Between Sandra and my son Andy and myself, we figured up we've been involved over the years with about 44 different churches. So a few of them, about a half dozen, were strong and growing when we arrived, but most felt that they were struggling. And the reason they struggled 
depended upon the church, but it was usually because the people of the church were afraid to talk to their neighbors, or they felt their neighbors weren't good enough for the church, or they didn't understand that it's a key duty of Christians to speak to others about the love of Christ and invite people to join their fellowship. Notice that both explaining the love of Christ and inviting people are needed, and of course we have to act like Christ, in most of the churches, most of the people understood that a church is supposed to grow. Although I've been in some churches where the people were, there were people who told anybody who would listen that they didn't want to be in a growing church. They liked their church small, and so their churches stayed small, and were mostly smaller when we left those churches than when we arrived. It's easy to stay in a small church. Just get together with everyone else in the church and only talk to each other, assuming that if someone doesn't already attend the church, then they aren't really good enough to be involved with the church. And you know, this works really, really well. The churches always stay small when that attitude is adopted until everyone dies off. When we asked people in various churches, why does the church need to grow? There were almost always people who said, we are getting old and we need people to work around here. Or, we need people to help us support this church. But folks, that's not why Jesus said to chase down those lost sheep and chase down those lost coins. It isn't to go and find workers and their money to feed the church like you feed a stomach. Although, of course, it is true that a church with more people has more workers and is financially stronger. No, in the fast-growing churches, there was always a core group of people like here who remembered what Jesus had done for them, how they had been lost, how someone had explained the love of God and Jesus to them, how they had turned to believe in and follow Jesus and had never forgotten how deep in trouble they were before they began to follow Jesus. For you see, it's really critical to our Christian growth that we don't forget, that we don't forget what Jesus has done for us and this allows us to look to help other people who are suffering, people who are lonely, like we were, or suffering like we were, people who have never understood the love of, of Jesus like we didn't, because they've never been loved by other people. Folks, a church is not supposed to be supported by the people of, communi of the community like a stomach. We're not to be the stomach of the community consuming the finances and times of the community. That doesn't mean we can't have fundraisers and community events. These connect us to the community. But the community needs the church to be the heart of the community. Pumping life-giving blood, love, and niceness out into the community. The church is supposed to support the community. This is what Jesus meant when he said that Christians are to be salt of the earth, that that which gives the surrounding community the good flavor. And when a church does this well, like here, people want to be around the people of the church and become like them. Now there is a point to be made that each church is a community even by itself, even as it influences the surrounding community. And there are different types of church communities there are pride-filled church communities that I've run into that have a common idea that they're the only good people, that everyone else is evil, 
and a source of trouble, even the people in the other churches, that they in the community are the only people worth associating with. And so their surrounding communities get this pumped into them, and they become harsh, and they put up walls and fences, and their neighborhoods need, need neighborhood watch groups to keep an eye on the other people who live there. And these attitudes come down to their children, causing trouble in the schools. And no one feels safe because this poison of fear is pumped into the community. And then there are the more humble church communities like this one, who recognize that each of the members were once messed up in rebellion to God, trying to make their own way by themselves in a world that God had designed to work only if we follow God's way and work together. These communities look upon the people outside as people to be helped, as they were once helped themselves. Not people to be taken care of, but people to be helped, as they had been taken care of and helped. The people in these churches recognized it was only through God's loving kindness that they were found by someone who loved them and taught them about God's love. There was someone here who did that for you, wasn't there? These church communities are filled with people who are pleasant to be around. And as they pump their life-giving blood into their surrounding communities, those communities become known as places with good neighbors and great places to live and places with good schools and safe places to walk in the mornings and the evenings. So why don't we wait for people to walk into the church and then welcome them? Why do we need to go out and find people? It's because most of the people who do not attend church today are not Christians. A few Christians who don't attend because they can't due to illness or fear of COVID or an inability to get around, and we recognize these folks. But now listen carefully. While not every person in a church is a Christian, almost all true Christians go to church. For a true Christian understands it's their duty to get together with other Christians and change the world working together. Can you worship at home? Sure. Can you worship alone? Of course. But of the hundreds of churches in our county, surely a true Christian believer can find one church where they can work together with other Christians. And you know, if you're a person who can't, maybe you're the problem. Not the people in all those churches. Maybe you've become like the Pharisees that Jesus was talking to that day on the way to Jerusalem. Far too good to associate with other people. Too good to even help other people. Too good to hang out with the Son of God. No, Jesus wants us to go and find the lost sheep in our community because it's good for the lost sheep and it's good for us. A lost sheep is vulnerable, can be injured or killed by the wolves in the world. Are you lost? Are you alone? Are you facing the wolves of the world by yourself? Come and see us here at Cedar Grove. And if you're one of the people who go searching for the lost sheep, like many do here, you know there's certain life skills that we need to learn along the way, and this is how searching for lost sheep helps us. We'll need to understand other sheep, and you know we can't be scary. We'll need to understand what sheep think about shepherds and flocks. After all, wild sheep are usually convinced that there aren't any advantages to being in a flock. They think that those other sheep will eat part of my grass. But those sheep who are safely in the flock 
recognize that following a good shepherd leads them to quiet waters and good grazing lands, to protection against wolves and bears, and keeps them from poison and rescues them when trouble strikes. It's the same with people. If we're to find people for our flock, we need to learn how people outside the church think, which you know is often the same way we thought before we became a Christian. We'll need to be friendly and pleasant, a listener, not a talker. For like a good shepherd cannot scare the sheep, we need to be so attractive to people who are not Christians. But we also have to retain the sense of what is good and what is not good. And that means we need to delve deeply into our scriptures. We need to pray intensely for the souls of others. We need to love these other people. And we need to forgive, and this is the hard part, we need to forgive minute by minute the offenses that our lost sheep commit. For they are not fellow shepherds yet, only sheep. And it takes time for lost sheep to become good shepherds. And they will offend us from time to time. And we need to forgive and forgive. Jesus wants us to find lost sheep so they can be part of a flock, safe and cared for, surrounded by friends and a shepherd who cares for them. And he wants us to become good shepherds just like him. As Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. And so he did in a terrible death that one day on the cross so that we could live. And so as we attempt to become good shepherds, will we give hours and days of our life that other sheep may be found and live? So make your list of a dozen lost sheep to pray for and to call to. Be diligent about looking all over for those missing silver coins that are on your list. Call weekly or monthly to everyone on your list and always be looking to meet new sheep and tell them about the goodness of belonging to this flock. I think a good place to end today is to look at what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, the young man he considered to be his heir in his mission. Paul, you'll remember, was perhaps the strongest preacher that the world has ever seen, but Paul also wrote about how bad Paul had been, how far away from Jesus and how terribly opposed to Jesus Paul was before Jesus called to him on the road to Damascus. Paul wrote, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And now Paul tells Timothy and us, that we need to hear this following saying and make it our own because it helps us to stay humble. Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And then Paul breaks out and prays, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul hated Christians, and he persecuted them. He locked them up. He had them stoned to death. 
But then when faced with the truth, Paul became the greatest evangelist the world has seen. Perhaps in your circle of friends, you already know someone who will be a great evangelist, a wonderful preacher, the next Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, someone who just needs a few words of kindness from you to flourish for Jesus. Or perhaps it's your life that's ready to be changed by walking in the church. Perhaps it's time to join with a group of humble people who recognize just how poor their lives would have been without Jesus. Look around you. You'll see some of those folks. And you know there's some urgency to this. Because on the morning of September 11th, people did not expect airplanes to fall from the sky that day. In the summer, people going downtown or into the cities do not expect bullets to come flying out of guns and hit them. Three years ago, we did not expect a viral disease to come from nowhere. And last night, those kids did not expect that ATV to kill them. People die every day. Will you find them for the Good Shepherd before it's too late for them? Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.